Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 26 of Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be reading verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now when we read this verse and when we consider it, it seems fairly straightforward at first. It seems um, true. Correct. Of course, we know all the Bible is true and correct, but this verse seems, um, let's say, to be in accord with everything that we understand and know to be true about Eve, um, that, that she was the mother of all living. However, when we look more closely at this verse, it really uh, raises some questions. For instance, there's two main things that I want to look at. Let, let me read the verse again. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And so we would expect that the name Eve that Adam gave to his wife was due to the fact that she was the mother of all living. Or in other words, the name Eve, we would expect to identify with living or life. But when we look up the word Eve, the Hebrew word translated is Eve, that's not what we find. Uh, Eve in the, the Hebrew word um, is 2332 and it's only translated as Eve, but it is identical in spelling and even vowel pointing to the Hebrew word found in Strong's Concordance 2333. And yet that word doesn't help us too much because it's translated as towns, like, like a city, a town. And, um, for some unknown reason, Every time that uh, 2333 translated as towns is used, it's uh, the town of Jair, J-A-I-R, that's in view. And, and Jair is a word that relates to being enlightened. So there, there could be some relationship there. But, but overall, I don't see how understanding that Eve means town uh, is is helpful and I I don't see how it relates to her being the mother of all living but it's also related to that is the Hebrew word translated as Eve 2332 is um, related to another Hebrew word 2331 this word is translated as show um, this is the word 
For example, in Job chapter 32 and verse 10, Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. And in Job 36 verse 2, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. Now, uh, there's also another place it's found. It's found several more, but we'll go to one one more place. In Psalm 19 and in verse um, 1 and 2, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. It's the second showeth in verse 2. That's uh, 2331 in the, the Hebrew of Strong's. That is the related word to Eve. Now, when we, we look at how 2331 is used. I will show mine opinion and, and night unto night shows or showeth knowledge. We see that it's a word that relates to revealing and, and revealing the word of God, r- revealing, uh, a word. And that's the point of the heavens. They declare the glory of God. And they utter speech and show knowledge. They reveal the existence of God and various points about God himself. He's the light of the world and so forth. And this is the word that helps us to define Eve. It, it's either town, like Jer, or it is showeth that which reveals. But um, neither of the words relates to life or living, which we would expect because Adam said, I will, uh, he called, or it was said of Adam, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So that's the first curious thing. The second unusual thing about uh, Genesis 3, verse 20, and the statement made there is that it says that Adam called his wife's name Eve because, or the reason he called her Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Well, what's unusual about that? We know that that Eve gave birth to uh, first Cain and then Abel, and after Cain rose up and slew Abel. She gave birth to Seth, and the human race developed from there. Yes, but at the time Adam is calling her Eve, or giving her this name, she has not given birth to anyone. She is not the mother of anyone at that point. It's right after the fall of sin in Genesis 3. And apparently it's not too long after Eve was formed uh, from the rib, taken out of the side of Adam, and they had spent some time together. There's no um, language or no indication of any kind 
she had given birth and and so it's strange that Adam calls her Eve because she was the mother of all living. Notice the word was is past tense. And at this point, she has not even given birth to uh, one child, uh, to anyone at all. She she is not the mother of anyone or anything at this point. So why did Adam call his wife's name Eve? And And when we look at it historically, it doesn't seem to fit. Um, we, now the, the, uh, interlinear Bible, J. Green's interlinear, tries to help the situation by translating the word was as became, because she became the mother of all living. And, and you see, he realized it, it's difficult language, awkward language, language that doesn't seem to fit to say she was, so, let, let's um, correct it a little bit and say she became, because we do know, obviously, she did become the mother of all living. She would, she would be the one that children would come forth from, and all children would, would trace their lineage back to Adam and Eve. And Eve would be, in that sense, the mother of all living. But, the the problem is that the the Hebrew word translated as was is correctly translated. It's the same word that's found back in Genesis one in verse two, and the earth was without form and void. Not the earth became without form and void, but when God created the heaven and the earth. That was its condition. And the word translated as was is identical in uh, its consonants, in in its vowels, as our word in Genesis 3.20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And this is another example how the Bible is written primarily, not in a secondary way, uh, you know, as an afterthought where, where the, the, uh, the history or the statement, um, has everything to do in the first instance with the, the historical setting or, or its moral teaching. No, primarily Primarily, God wrote the Bible to teach spiritual truth. The deeper spiritual meaning is the supreme meaning. That is, the most important meaning has to do with the spiritual truth that is found in the verse. And so God uh, oftentimes writes a verse that grammatically or or even historically seems unusual very difficult to understand in order that we look for that deeper spiritual meaning because it's actually a signpost 
to look for something more. Look um, deeper. Deeper is a good word when when we speak of a deeper spiritual meaning. It means it's not on the surface. It's that hid treasure that the Bible contains, the the hid silver and hid gold, the precious truth of the Word of God, the mystery that uh, is throughout the Scripture, as God has written the Bible in a very difficult manner in order to hide truth. Verily, thou art a God that hideth thyself. It says in Isaiah, of our God, of the God of the Bible. God hides himself and he is truth. And he hides truth in his word. We know it's the glory of God to conceal a thing and, and the honor of kings to search it out. And so we, we, the, the people of God have the task assigned to us to search the scriptures and and to dig into the word of God to uncover by God's grace if he's willing to grant us understanding to uncover the deeper spiritual meaning and and when we see verses like this that she was the mother of all living well we right away we begin to wonder what could be in view. What is God actually saying here? Now, um, again, historically we know Eve was the mother of all living, that her descendants would come forth from her. There, there wouldn't be any, any children or, or generations. We would not be alive today if Eve did not give birth physically to Children that would then in turn also give birth physically. And the word living is a word that can be understood to refer to uh, physical life. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And both life and living are the, the same word that's in our, in our verse. She was the mother of all living. And it's used uh, in a natural sense of physical life in, in other places too. But this is also the word that God uses in Psalm 133. And in verse 3, it says in the second uh, half of the verse, for there Jehovah commanded the blessing, even life for evermore. And the word life is this same Hebrew word. And life forevermore is, is spiritual life. It's eternal life that God grants in salvation. And that means that Eve, yes, in one sense, physically, in, in the natural realm is the mother of all living, and yet also it might be that this has to do with those that are spiritually alive. And we're encouraged along those lines because we know 
that God has been using Adam as a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Adam uh, had a deep sleep call come upon him, as God caused him to have that deep sleep, and then the Lord took one of his ribs, and of the rib he made the woman, and we, we know that was a spiritual picture of Christ dying, the deep sleep identified with death, and through Christ's death, out of his side came the woman. It's no coincidence that when Jesus was on the cross, the Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear, and the rib comes out of the side, and out came water and blood. And the water of the gospel, the blood of Christ, flowed forth into the world, and as people would hear the gospel, or as the gospel water went forth, they became saved and became part of the bride of Christ. It's a very clear connection between the spiritual bride that comes from Christ's pierced side, which uh, identifies with his suffering under the wrath of God, and the woman, his bride, that is formed as a result. And, And so we know that Eve does relate and identify with the elect, and the elect are the living. In this world, when God looks down from heaven above, and he sees a world of billions of people, he sees masses of humanity that are dead in sin. They're spiritually dead. They've never been born again. And scattered here and there among them are those that God has saved, his elect that he brought to life, like Lazarus. Lazarus come forth. And he made them to live, to to be alive amongst the dead, alive spiritually in their soul. And they are the living of God. And 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 so there there is a way of looking at it, where the gospel is brought forth by the believers, and down through the centuries, down through the ages, and as the true believers bring forth the gospel. It saves others that were predestinated, part of God's elect, and they come to life. That is, they're born of the word and born, in a sense, from those that ministered the word to them. As the Apostle Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel or or something similar and and so we are born again. And then when we're born again, we feed upon the milk of the word, just like a baby would feed upon uh, its mother's milk. And, and so there is that kind of picture. Now in Galatians chapter 4, in Galatians 4, we, we find that God is going to define for it, or he's going to take uh, a passage of the Old Testament, a passage from Genesis, the book we're studying, and he's going to look at 
the historical record and related to the gospel. That is, in this case, the Lord is going to do our work for us, and he's going to reveal the deeper spiritual meaning of uh, a big section of um, Genesis, a fairly large section that has to do with Abraham and his two wives. In Galatians 4, it says in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now, the free woman was Sarah, but but uh, God doesn't refer to her by name here. She's just called the free woman. In verse 23, but he who is of the bondwoman, and and the bondwoman is Hagar. Um, I'll read it again. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Sarah, the free woman, gave birth to Isaac according to the promise of God in the set time the next year you will have a son. It was a long-standing promise to Abraham that he would have a son in his old age. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, and, and for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Now, this is just uh, mind-blowing. It, it destroys the hermeneutic of the church. This passage absolutely destroys the hermeneutic that you look for, the historical uh, statement and or the grammatical statement of Scripture, and you seek no other meaning. This passage in Galatians fits hand in hand with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak. Here, God is taking chapters, chapters, because when you go into Galatians and you read about Abraham and and the promise God gave him, and and uh, the dealings of God with Abraham and Sarah, and um, how it appeared that Abraham and Sarah uh, were lacking patience, and and so Sarah said, "Go into my handmaid Hagar." And this worked out over chapters of Genesis, where there is not a hint, there is not a uh, any any hint whatsoever that those chapters, as you read them, should be understood allegorically. And allegorically is another way of saying parabolically. Of course, it's true history, so it would be a historical parable. But when you read those chapters, there is nothing, nothing that indicates deeper spiritual meaning. But here God is defining things. He He's explaining things, much like when Jesus would speak a parable and the disciples would come and say, um, what, what was that about? Tell us, 
uh, what's the meaning of of the parable of of this or the parable of the sower? And then Jesus would explain. He would say, now this represents that. Just like here God is speaking of Abraham and his two wives and their sons, and he's saying, these things are an allegory. They're an allegory. Now, the church and theologians who jealously want to protect their methodology, uh, which is just just void of any value, but they want to protect it. They've written books about it and commentaries. And so they say, well, here's how we understand this. When God specifically speaks to a point where where he says, now this represents this, or this is an allegory, as he does here in Galatians, then we have allowance by God where we can understand these things as an allegory. But they're then quick to point out where God does not specifically tell us that um, a statement is an allegory, then you you're forbidden. You cannot do that. And and that's when they laid down their law, the historical grammatical method, and you seek no other truth. You just try to find out the the dull. It really is dull when they teach because it's lifeless. They, as I said, the teaching of the Bible primarily is concerning the deeper spiritual meaning, the, the most important thing they lack. And and so they they say, well, you you cannot look for that. Oh no, that's when you get in trouble when you look for that spiritual meaning. You're spiritualizing. Yet, can you imagine? Here's what they're basically saying, and and you could map this out if you like. You go back and you read Abraham, and you read um, of the account with his life with Sarah, the incident in marrying Hagar the children that are born, and so forth. And then you have uh, permission from Galatians 4. These are the two covenants, and you can you can just work in, in those chapters. Here's spiritual meaning, spiritual meaning, spiritual meaning. But once you get out of there, once you move on in history, where God does not uh, expressly state that it's an allegory, then the church says, "All right, now stop your allegorizing." In in uh, you you can allegorize in chapters sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, but when you get to chapter twenty two, stop. Chapter twenty three, you're you're not permitted. It, it is foolish. It is completely foolish and blind. They it, it's it's like Jesus is explaining a parable uh, here. In Galatians 4, as a matter of fact, if we go back to verse 21 of Galatians 4, this is how uh, this this passage was introduced. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Hear the law, and then, for it is written, and God makes reference to the book of Genesis. That's where we read these things. And and that was part of the law of Moses, the first five books, the Pentateuch. 
And do you see what God did there in Galatians 4.21? Do ye not hear the law? Let him who has ears to hear, hear, Jesus would say when he would speak a parable. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And do ye not hear the law? And then God follows by explaining the deeper spiritual meaning of the law. Of, yes, the uh, parts of Genesis, but but it has the same application to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Remember in 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul made reference to the law of Moses in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? And and then he goes on to explain, no, of course. And, and he explains the deeper spiritual meaning of that one verse, that one law. And it's the very same thing. It's an allegory, just like in Genesis. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.